This is an ABC podcast. Knowing, knowing that they're the largest animal on earth and, and knowing what, what we did to them and how close they came to extinction and how rare they still are, it, it is amazing to, to see them. My name's Ann Jones and this is Off Track, which has been for the last nine or so years RN's most adventurous show. It has literally gone all over the world to places we can barely dream of, especially during COVID times. And this episode from 2015 is one that sent me into an absolute trance. The sounds move me to the point of tears. So I wanted to play them to you one last time before Off Track goes off air. Imagine a bunch of scientists from the Australian Antarctic Division and their New Zealand counterparts on a six-week boat journey to Antarctica. All the sounds you're going to hear in this program were recorded by the acousticians on the ship. And you know what? We're lucky we've got any whales to listen to at all. Dr Mike Double is a leader with the Australian Antarctic Division. This is the largest animal that has ever lived. There's thought to be three subspecies of blue whales globally, and Antarctic blue whales being one of them. Blue whales are very large, they're over 30 metres long, and the Antarctic blue whales are the largest one of all. So blue whales were targeted as soon as they had steamships that, that could go fast enough to, to catch them, and the development of an explosive harpoon. We think at the start of the whaling period for blue whales, we think there are about 240,000 blue whales in the Antarctic. By the 1960s, the mid-1960s, when they became fully protected from, from legal whaling at least, we think they, that around 360,000 had been killed and that the blue whales were incredibly rare. So is it known how many are out there these days? Um, well, the simple answer is no. The, the International Whaling Commission had the opportunity to conduct 30 years of sighting surveys. Over 30 years, they saw fewer than 300 sightings of blue whales. One of the main questions we have about Antarctic blue whales is, are they recovering? Dr Brian Miller is an acoustician with the Australian Antarctic Division and the Australian Marine Mammal Centre. Another research goal that we were hoping to achieve is to better understand the behavior of these animals. We can now record them and we can find them based on their sounds. And this opens up opportunities to determine what the purpose of their song actually is. But there's something special about this voyage on the Tangaroa, a relatively new development in whale tracking, something that gives the researchers the ability to zero in on the whale's position. Sonoboys are underwater listening devices that are usually used by the military to detect submarines. And we've figured out a way to repurpose these sonoboys in order to listen for Antarctic blue whales and other low-frequency whale species. So we deploy a sonoboy, and then the Tangaroa steams away from it. The sonoboy floats in place, and it deploys its sensor. So the sensor falls to a depth of about 100 metres, 
and a small float stays at the surface with a radio transmitter in it, and it's broadcasting the whale sounds back to the ship. If we didn't use this radio link, then we wouldn't really be able to hear Antarctic blue whales at all, because if we were trying to tow the listening devices, the hydrophones, behind our ship, the noise from our own vessel and the flow noise of the water over the sensor would swamp the signal, and we wouldn't be able to hear anything at all. There's quite a few sources of man-made noise in the ocean. Ship noise is one of the most familiar sorts of noise. We're fortunate in the Antarctic in that the ship noise that we are hearing most of the time during these sorts of voyages comes from the research vessel itself. But in addition to ship noise, there's also noise from geological prospecting and geological research surveys. And a lot of these surveys use seismic air guns. These seismic air guns create very loud, low-frequency pulses of sound that penetrate the, the seabed and reflect off of oil and gas deposits. These sounds are incredibly loud, and they can be heard over hundreds, if not thousands, of kilometers. The sounds from the seismic air guns sound like a loud boom. As they travel through the ocean, part of that impulsive sound gets spread out. So they might sound like an upsweep or a downswept sound, but they're rather impulsive and they're repeated at six to 12 second intervals. So they're, they're very regular. They go for days and days on end when the ship is surveying. When you see the first iceberg, you suddenly, it dawns on you that you've actually made it. That's when you know you're approaching Antarctica. And of course, when you see one of the jade icebergs where you get the really deep, beautiful green color and it is mind blowing, it's pretty special. <laughs> it's, it's a different experience to anything you've, you've ever imagined. Dr. Natalie Schmidt is a whale geneticist and on this particular journey south, she was a spotter. When we were around the Blaney Islands looking out for blue whales and humpback whales, I found it very difficult to do my job. <laughs> I found it very difficult to stay focused because the beauty is just staggering in this place. The Blaney Islands are these huge volcanic rocks sticking up out of the water, just covered in glaciers and ice and snow and penguins, and it's absolutely staggering. There were moments that that I shed a tear even. It was just so phenomenally beautiful. The Bellini Islands are a group of Antarctic islands, more or less due south from New Zealand. And they were a location that was very fruitful for humpback whale research on a prior research voyage in 2010. It was a bit surprising on this voyage, the sheer amount of humpback whale calls that we detected. Um, it, was, it, it was just continuous calling from these humpbacks.
some of the calls that they were making were fragments or portions of the humpback whale song that they sing on the breeding grounds. And it's only just recently that scientists have started to realize that these song fragments and that these songs are sometimes sung in the Antarctic. And did you expect to see Antarctic blue whales there? We didn't expect to see a lot of Antarctic blue whales there, but there was a little bit of a surprise. On our, I think, second day of surveying the Bellini Islands, we did start to hear loud calls from Antarctic blue whales. And what did it sound like? You actually feel the Antarctic blue whale calls more than you hear them. It's just a low rumble. It's a really, really bassy low rumble. Your whole head vibrates. The the Antarctic blue whales around the Bellini Islands were making frequency-modulated calls, and these are sometimes in scientific circles referred to as D calls, as in the letter D. These are downswept calls, And they're not repeated at regular intervals. They're sort of ad hoc, ad-libbed calls. They were incredibly loud and low frequency. And indeed, we we saw a pair of Antarctic blue whales feeding in a very krill-rich spot in between two of the Bellini Islands. It's always thrilling to get that first detection of a voyage. On previous voyages where we've listened for Antarctic blue whales, we deploy sonovoys regularly, sometimes up to eight per day. And because Antarctic blue whales can be so incredibly loud, they don't usually sneak up on us. But on this voyage, these two whales just snuck up on us entirely. When the ocean temperature gets very close to freezing, you get this oil-like icy appearance on the surface of the water, and that means the water is getting close to, to freezing. When you get a blizzard, not only does it fall and settle on the surface of the ship, which is incredibly beautiful, in parts you see it settle on the water. When we were departing the Bellini Islands, we were following rather faint calls from Antarctic blue whales. We were getting them regularly, but they were very quiet, which suggests that they were a good distance away. We started to sweat a little bit because the calls just didn't seem to be getting much louder. Now, Antarctic blue whales are superlative animals. They're truly superlative animals. Not only are they the largest animal that's ever lived, but when they want to, they can be much, much faster than a research vessel. So if we were trying to track down whales that were also heading east, there's a real possibility that they could easily outrun us and we would never get to them. Up till now, most surveys for Antarctic whales have been purely visual surveys. On this voyage, we've really turned that model on its head and we're using acoustics, we're using the whale's own sounds as the primary means of locating these animals. 
So we would throw the sauna boy in the water and we'd steam away from it. And once the ship was far enough away that the ship noise wasn't dominating the sounds on the sauna boy, we'd start monitoring for Antarctic blue whales. We were following Antarctic blue whale song calls, and fortunately for us, when an Antarctic blue whale starts singing, they continue singing for very long periods of time. So we were able to stick with it. And by the end of the second day heading east from the Bellini Islands, we finally started to close on a vocal aggregation of Antarctic blue whales. In the Southern Ocean, icebergs around, white and jade-coloured and white snow falling, and in a small room on board, surrounded by computers with squiggly lines of sound on their screens, this is what the scientists hear. you're probably not going to be able to hear that. That's because the songs of the Antarctic blue whale are so low that the sounds are outside the human range of hearing and the bits that are within our range are probably not going to make it to you via your sound equipment unless you've got some amazing stuff at your place. This sound is so low that it's almost infrasonic. If you've ever been in an earthquake, it's almost like that, where you can sort of hear the sound and feel the sound at the same time, like it melds all of your senses together. And here it is, raised 10 semitones to help you understand what it might sound like. And just in case you thought that this was some sort of radio interference, I've raised it another 10, that is 20 semitones higher than the original song. This is the song call of the largest animal on Earth. It might be out there making these noises right now, and we would never know. We don't really know with a lot of certainty how any of the baleen whales produce their vocalizations. There's some models, but getting evidence for how whales produce their sounds has proven quite tricky. Most scientists believe that these sounds are produced by whales shifting air around internally, but it's not clear whether or not they're using structures that are anatomically similar to vocal cords or some other mechanism. entirely sure how long an individual whale will sing that song for. But what we have discovered is that Antarctic blue whales tend to aggregate into denser clusters of whales that are all inhabiting a particular area. And at these, at these aggregations of whales, the song seems to be produced continuously. So, so we've, we've started calling these vocal aggregations of whales. On the acoustics team, we're really operating at a really different scale than the visual observers operate. When visual observers talk about groups of whales, they're really talking about 
groups of whales that they can see that are within a few body lengths of each other. But when we're talking about acoustic or vocal aggregations of Antarctic blue whales, we're really talking about whales that are spread out over dozens of kilometers, if not over a hundred kilometer radius. And these vocal aggregations, while they seem like very large areas, blue whales are really jammed into them compared to the rest of the vast Antarctic Southern Ocean. I think the, the acoustic element really brings a new level of excitement to the chase. And so whenever we can, we have an observation team up on the Monkey Island, which is the deck above the bridge. Focus is really strong up there on the Monkey Bridge and, and we're, we're trying really hard to find this whale. You have a pair of binoculars in your hands and your hands have, <laughs> have about three layers of gloves on them and you're scanning the horizon constantly for that blow. And of course blue whales, their blow is huge. So we sometimes were seeing blue whales where we couldn't see the base of the blow but we could see the blow and of course we couldn't see the base of the blow because it was actually beyond the horizon. Oh, this was when we encountered this huge aggregation of Antarctic blue whales around the northern ice shelf of the Ross Sea. It was a phenomenal day because on previous voyages, you know, we would see one blue whale here and there. We might even see two, perhaps three. So when we encountered this super group, you know, where we would see one whale, then we'd see blows here, blow, 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 all across the horizon. We were just so excited. Although we knew blue whales aggregated, we, we really hadn't thought that we'd see a group of this size. And, and we're not talking about a, a densely packed group necessarily, although at occasions they did all... Uh, there was a group that really came close together and were charging around and, and were tightly packed. But there was that group, but they were surrounded by other groups. And you start seeing that, that there's almost blows everywhere you look. And of course, because they're so large, they can be quite distant. So you've got sometimes very tightly packed groups. And then it, around that, you've got this sort of exploded group. It, it was like hitting the jackpot. It, this, is, this, is, this is exactly what we're hoping to find somewhere in the Southern Ocean. And of course, as we got closer, we realised that they were actually feeding because we saw surface lunging behaviour where they come to the surface and they open, open up their mouths and they, and they lunge to the side. So they open their mouths up and they take up a scoop of, of krill or whatever they're feeding on at the time. And so they take a big mouthful of that and they filter it through the baleen plates. It, it was just amazing to see so many blue whales, this rare animal that is so hard to find and so hard to see and study. We, we estimated there were well over 100 animals in this area. When you get close to a blue whale and it blows next to you, because it's feeding down there, the blow smells like fish. So I guess 
yeah, whenever I go into a fish market or um, can, I, I smell fish, then, yeah, I'm brought back to that moment where I'm on the bow of the ship and a blue whale is just blown next to me. And occasionally we saw breaching, which <laughs> it's, it's hard to describe what it's like to see uh, the largest animal that has ever lived throwing its entire body out of the water. It, it, it's quite a phenomenal sight. I mean, there'd be only a handful of people in the world, really, that would have ever seen this behaviour in Antarctic blue whales. Oh, that's correct. I mean, only a handful of people in the world have actually seen Antarctic blue whales. So <laughs> you're talking about a critically endangered animal. Yeah, we, we, we definitely hit the jackpot on this voyage. What are they doing there, all jammed in together? That's one of the questions that we really were hoping to answer on this voyage. One of the activities that we conducted upon seeing Antarctic blue whales is a focal follow, and we used a highly accurate video tracking system to track the movements of these whales at the surface. And by looking at those movements, we're hoping to learn more about the behavior of the whales. Additionally, we also had a team of active acousticians who were using echo sounders to measure the amount of krill in the area. And we were able to get some of the first simultaneous measurements of Antarctic blue whales and krill. Preliminary analyses suggest that the blue whales had aggregated in a spot where krill was relatively rare in that a lot of the time there was absolutely nothing on our sounders. But when we did encounter the krill, they were in very dense swarms. We like to think of these, you know, blue whale bite-sized swarms. So it's seductive to think that this is good area for blue whales in that one lunge will capture a lot of krill possibly enough for a day's feed in one lunge because the density was so high. We'll then go in for a close approach and this is when things start to get quite exciting. <laughs> so we all rush down, we get changed into our Antarctic gear to be positioned at the bow of the ship because we can often get very wet. Blizzards come in at the drop of a hat and we'll start to set up on the bow of the ship. The ship guide will then guide us as close as we can to the whales so we can get good photo ID from the left side and the right side of the whale. So that gives us an individual ID of that Antarctic blue whale. Th this can take quite some time because as you can imagine, if you've got a pod of four animals and you're trying to get the left and right side of each of those animals, it, it can sometimes take over an hour or if, you know, potentially two hours to get those photos. And then once we've succeeded in getting those photos, we'll then try an even closer approach to get a biopsy sample. Traditionally, we'll use a modified .22 calibre rifle to uh, get biopsies from smaller whales like humpback whales. And so these are the rifles that I'm used to using. Uh, but for blue whales, because it's difficult to get really close to them, especially uh, on a ship of that size, we need to use a much higher powered rifle. So we use rifles known as Larsen rifles, which have been modified so that we can use a, uh, um, a large biopsy dart inserted in the barrel. And so that can project or propel those darts quite a long distance. So 
that's what we use to deploy the darts to collect those little skin samples. And then the darts will lay floating in the water and then we need to direct the ship to then use a big net to scoop up those darts with the sample inside. DNA, videos, photos and sounds, the voyage was a success and in fact it sets a precedent for further Antarctic blue whale research and all thanks to the way that we can now use sonoboys to listen to whale song. Dr Mike Double has presented preliminary findings from the mission to the International Whaling Commission. Dr Brian Miller, who is responsible for all the underwater recordings in today's show, is still analysing the 40,000 or so individual calls that he recorded on the voyage. And Dr Natalie Schmidt has also provided more data, extra photos, over at the website abc.net.au slash rn slash off track. I'm Ann Jones and this is Off Track on RN and I'll meet you down at the dock at the same time next week. That's when I'll take you somewhere else. One of the things that I feel whenever I go down to the Southern Ocean is there is just life everywhere. There's not a moment that goes by that you don't see a bird. Even in the densest of blizzards, there are always birds flying around. And it's exciting to look out there and think that there is a blue whale close by. Even though we're incredibly isolated, I don't feel lonely. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.